Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, I hope you're all doing okay. I know um, a lot of you are trying to figure out where to sit when you come in. Just do your best. I know it's not easy and there's only so many chairs that we can put out when we're socially distanced. And um, he is praying that things get back to normal a bit sooner. We can sit together again properly as a family. So um, I know that a lot of people are, are, as well are aware. I get a lot of people messaging me during the week or just you know, hearing that people are away on holiday this time of visiting family. So if you are just watching on our Facebook Live right now, hello to you as well. I hope you're doing okay. Um, just so that glad that you can join us. Uh, Jenny and myself, we're actually on, uh, we took a, hol- a small holiday last week and didn't go anywhere special, but we did the Darlington 10K, which was the first time that either of us had done a race. Jenny loved it. I hated it. Uh, not, not like the before and after, the actual event was brilliant, but it's the running part of running that I don't like. I don't know about you. Um, but it was just so good. I tell you what, what, what an incredible town we live in. Um, there was people just lying in the streets. Yeah, Darlington is incredible. Like, I, you guys might not think so, but I think it's incredible. Um, there was people just lying in the streets for like an hour, just cheering people on, clapping them as they went round, and uh, it was just incredible. But it's good to be back this morning, and we are straight back into the Gospel of Luke. I really hope that so far you felt challenged uh, and feel like God's been speaking to you through the Gospel. Let me say a couple of things. Uh, we're in chapter 5 today. We're going through this pretty fast, and we're going to be done with this uh, four weeks before Christmas. Um, so we're obviously not talking or pulling out every single part of this gospel message. Um, but what I would say is, is read, read with, read with me. Um, as I walk through and study this, and the other guys who are going to be speaking from the front, uh, there are bits that we're going to miss during the week. And that's not because they're not important or God doesn't want to speak to you through them, those parts. It's just that we've picked some highlights that we're going to run with through this series. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can grab one on your way in now on a Sunday morning. We'll always have Bibles at the back at the resources table there. Um, if you don't have one at home, take it home with you. You can keep it. And I won't call it stealing, I promise you. Um, and you can keep it. If you don't have one, just grab one. Take it home with you. If you've just forgotten it for the morning and you just want one for while you sat here, you left yours at home, that's fine. Just use it and put it back after you finished with it. But if you need one at home, just take one. We'll buy you one. It's not a problem. Um, so yeah, please make sure you have a Bible and put it beside your bed. Read it before you go to sleep on a night, when you wake up in the morning, whenever works best for you. Have a good Bible app on your phone. Read at work on your lunch break. Read whenever works for you. But I want to encourage you just to spend time reading through, meditating on the Word of God, allowing it to impact your life. So as we walk through the Gospel of Luke together as a church, just just read through it. Read through the bits that we that we're not doing on Sundays, allow God to speak to you. It's incredible gospel. Okay, with that being said, uh, we're going to Luke chapter five. So those who have your Bibles, turn to that. I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to jump right in uh, to an encounter Jesus has with his soon-to-be disciples. So Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, we thank you that it does feel like a morning of celebration. I don't know why. Maybe just the Spirit's doing something this morning. Uh, maybe you're calling prodigals home this morning. Maybe you're going to reignite uh, the fire in some believers' hearts this morning. I really believe that. But Jesus, would we just be open to you, Lord? Would we be open to you doing something incredible in, in our hearts, in our families' lives, in our church? In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Amen. All right, I'm going to do that again. Everybody said? 
Come on. We're, in. <laughs> we're all here. We're all present. Here we go. Okay, Luke chapter 5, 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. <clears throat> he got into one of the boats, uh, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put, out, put it out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking to them, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because, of you, because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help, help them. And they came and f- filled the boat, both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. When Jesus said to them, <clears throat> said to Simon, then Jesus said to Simon, sorry, don't be afraid. From now on, you will, be, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Okay, so generally, if you've been around the Bible a little bit, you tend to remember this story. It's such a memorable moment in the Gospels, <clears throat> gospel accounts. Um, where we're up to here, Jesus, he's been baptized. He's been led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And he's announced in Nazareth who he is in the temple. And he's already been healing people and casting out spirits. And this is the moment in which he's going to invite people to become his students, to become his disciples. And here we, we catch Jesus on a morning where this crowd is surrounding him, wanting to hear what he's got to say, wanting to hear what he's teaching. And unfortunately, the growing multitude of people, it began to hinder his effectiveness, uh, people being able to hear what he was teaching. So Jesus, what he does is he uses his surroundings and he takes advantage of what he has. Uh, there's a body of water and next to it is the boats that are mentioned. And he decided to use it as almost like an ad hoc amphitheater. So he just puts the boat out a little bit on the shore and then his voice carries so much better across the water, the people lying in, lying in the beach. Now, just to point something out, uh, Luke's original audience who were reading this, they would have got it straight away. When he says that there's these fishermen that are washing their nets, they know that that means that this description of the scene, there were men were washing the nets because they'd been fishing all night. It's not something we tend to do nowadays. Uh, there's not, I don't know many fishermen. Uh, but most likely they were fishing with drag nets. You might have seen this technique and they kind of make a circle. That's what they do for deep water fishing. And we were told that they'd been fishing all night, which is, I mean, that's a hard night anyway for anybody, right? But they'd caught nothing all night, absolutely nothing, not one fish. And they were probably exhausted, no doubt a little frustrated at the fact that they had nothing to show for a a night's labor. And this morning that we're talking about here that Luke's describing, they're about to have an encounter with Jesus that would alter the course of the rest of their lives. 
So they've come from fishing, probably tired. And, and I want to ask you, um, is anybody in here like a, a keen fisherman, fisherwoman? Anybody? Oh, we've got one. Yeah, two. Oh, we've got, yeah, we've got some fishing enthusiasts. Uh, let me tell you, I went fishing for the first time when I was around 20. I was already living in Darlington, actually not long moved. And me and two of my friends, we decided it'd be a really good thing to try, like fishing you know, having fish to eat, like, you know, we thought, oh, we're going to go and catch some fish, eat it, it's going to be brilliant. And uh, I'd never fished before in my life, and uh, neither had my other friend, but the third one of us had gone a little bit with his dad growing up, a bit of sea fishing. So we thought, well, let's go fishing to Saltburn then. We'll drive off to Saltburn, and there's, a, there's the pier there, everybody knows the pier, and, and we thought we could do some sea fishing off the pier, it'd be fantastic, we'll go like late evening, we'll stay all night, we'll catch loads of fish, come back, you know, be millionaires, all that type of thing, and um, <clears throat> so we packed sandwiches, my friend, he had loads of, he had loads of gear because it, because it was his dad's, and we packed sandwiches, packed a picnic, we thought, right, we're set for an all night here, it's going to be fantastic. We got in my friend's car, drove all the way over to Saltburn, got there, got to the pier, and then realized that we hadn't checked the tide times. And the tide was like, it was out. And I don't mean out, it was like, it was way out. It was hours away. <laughs> so even from the end of the pier, it was still, you know, a mile out. I thought, oh no. Um, so yeah, that's my experience of fishing. However, a couple of years ago, I went with somebody who actually knew what they were doing. When we were living in Owen Sound, my next door neighbor was like a fishing nut. Like he was crazy about it. And he, and he offered to take, take us out on his boat. And he said, oh, come out with me. We'll catch fish. Look at what I caught. I'll show you a picture. Um, any second. Look at that. A full salmon. Look at that. I caught that. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, don't clap. I had no skill involved in that. I just literally pulled on a rod and did what he said. I was pulling and I caught a salmon. I was so excited. It tasted good too, let me tell you. Um, you can get rid of that. I was just boasting. But there's the difference when you go with somebody who actually knows what they do, they're doing. They, they were, he was a skilled, he was skilled in it. He, he won co- tournaments. He won competitions all over the place. He was incredible. And he took me out and that's, that's, that's what happened. But you know what? Here, what we're talking about these disciples, what's good to keep in mind is these guys... They knew better than anybody how to fish. They were incredible, talented fishermen. They did it as a living. They weren't just hobbyists like my buddy in Owen Sound. They weren't like my pal who took us to Saltburn and we didn't check the tide times. Like these guys were experts, fishermen. This was their livelihood. This is how they made a living. And there was a group of them. There was Simon, and we know from other gospel accounts that his brother was Andrew. And there was also John and James who were partners with them. All four would go on to follow Jesus. But notice here in, this, in, this, in what Luke does is he starts with the crowd, talks about the crowd, and then he hones in on these fishermen. And then he zones in on one, on Simon, on just one person. And Jesus is in Simon's boat. He's teaching the crowd. And then he stops teaching And then all of a sudden zooms in on just Simon. He turns towards him. And what does he do? He instructs Simon, the expert fisherman, (laughs) to take his boat into the deep water, to take it from the shallows into the deeper water, and to return to the very place where they'd labored all night in vain, and they caught nothing. And he instructs him, 
to let down your net for a catch. And these deep nets, they, they required more than just one boat, these deep water nets, so that it involved the entire group at this point. And let's be honest here, let's be really honest. Sometimes what Jesus asks you to do can be a little bit annoying. <laughs> like, he's asking them, they've just washed all the nets, they've been working all night, it's in the middle of the day now, and he's like, okay, let down your net for a catch. No doubt, they were tired, they were annoyed. And I want to point something out here why this was such a terrible idea. They fish during the night because the waters are cool, are cooler on the night. The fish like the cover of darkness, so they come up to feed. And, and during the day, they return to the deep for the cooler water and for the protection. It was during the day, the fish had returned to the deep, and you can imagine their thoughts when Jesus asked them to do this. However, they do as Jesus asks. Not long after placing their net in the water, Simon would have noticed that the top line was taut. It, was, it wasn't just tight. It was tight to the point that it was going to snap. And the nets are beginning to break. And you can imagine this moment, like he's frantically calling over his friends. He's like, come and help quick. Like, we need help. You can imagine their faces. And you know, as I was praying about this passage this week, such a well-known moment, <clears throat> I was asking, you know, Lord, what, what is it that I'm supposed to bring to the church. And I felt God remind me of, a, of, of what happened to Jenny and myself last year. Um, for those who don't know, this time last year, uh, we were leading a church in Owen Sound in Ontario. Incredible church, amazing people who love and follow Jesus. And it was just an honor to lead that church. We miss many of them very much. And we saw God, trust me, it was God, take this church from like 20 people to around 120 in three and a half years that we were part of it. And, and however, this time last year, we heard without a doubt that God was saying, now is the time for you to resign from leading this church. And I just want to let you in to what went on in our minds and hearts at that moment and the anxiety that overcame us. Um, resigning on the visa that we were on meant that we also were saying that we wouldn't stay in Canada. The, the visa was attached uh, to, to the job. So if we gave up the job, we gave up being able to live in Canada. But we had no doubts that God was asking us to do that. And I want you to imagine what's going on in my head in that moment. God's spoken. We know that to be true. However, the work that, that was going to need to happen in order to move us out of Canada and back to the UK is not a simple thing. We've done that before. It's not easy. Doing it during a pandemic is even harder. And, it, and it's not the traveling that's a problem. Getting on an airplane for several hours is not a difficult thing to do. However, it's, it's dismantling your life whilst you're still trying to live there that's the difficult part, right? So, so we needed to sell our house. We needed to figure out how to phase out the job well. We needed to figure out how to get rid of everything in the house because we weren't going to take anything with us other than clothes and some, you know, precious things. And, 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 and then it's, well, when do you sell the house? Where do you live when the house is sold? Because you still need to stay there and send money back to the UK and, you know, and get ready to leave and deal with everything there. Give back, give back your car, get, get rid of items. And it was really, really difficult. So one small thing that kind of rattled around my mind and probably just as a dad, just feeling desperate for my family and thinking this is going to be a really hard experience for us as a family 
We're probably going to be living in a hotel, probably going to be living out of suitcases for a month because we probably needed that much time between the house selling and actually getting on a plane. And I'm thinking, Lord, how are we going to do this? Where's my daughter going to sleep? We're probably going to be staying in a hotel, probably sleeping on the floor, living out of suitcase, whatever, right? Like, you know, where's Hannah going to sleep? And I was thinking, when do you get rid of a cot? You know, when do you, do you do it when you sell the house? Do you do it the night before you leave? Where does she sleep the night before we leave? Do we sell it the day we go to the airport or get rid of it the day we go to the airport? Well, that means I'm getting rid of stuff before we go to an airport. It's already stressful enough. So you can imagine my brain is like, boom, like that's just one thing. I've got a million things to get rid of in the house. And what we did know, it was going to be a really, really difficult thing for us as a family. It was almost impossible to figure out how it was going to work, how it was going to happen. And it was with that mindset that we knew what we had to do next. It was a Tuesday night in October last year. And um, I knew I had to bring the eldership together and let them know that we were going to resign. And all the stuff after that, I had no idea, absolutely no idea. But I just knew that God was asking us to do that. So Tuesday night, we sat down and we cried. And we told the elders that we feel God said to step back. Jesus asked us in that moment to take our boat out to the deep and cast our net. It made no sense. It was a ridiculous idea. Everything within me was telling me that this was a bad idea. It was, it was going to be a terrible time for our family. It was going to be really hard living in a hotel. It was going to be really difficult living out of suitcases. It didn't make sense. And you see, so often, we, we, we want to do what Jesus says, but when it makes sense, when we can see how everything is going to line up, when we can see that the finances are in place to do what he's asking us to do, when we can see, actually, that this is going to be a fruitful thing, it's not going to be something that people look at me and say, well, that was a ridiculous idea. Isn't he stupid? We want to follow Jesus when everything lines up with our intellect and our intelligence and our knowledge and our training That's when we want to follow Jesus because it makes sense. It's easy then. But you see, when Jesus asked us to do something, he asked the disciples, soon to be disciples, to take fishermen to take their boats out and to fish at a time that didn't make sense. It was the wrong time of the day. It was the wrong technique. And yet he asked them to go, to step out of their comfort zone. And the truth is, is that we do that. And then we often are left wondering why our relationship with God feels stagnant, why why it feels stale. And his disciples, as his disciples, Jesus is calling you and me to be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't see how this is going to work. I can tell you, though, without doubt, that I still am here today telling you that Jesus never failed us. He never left us. He never forsake us. The night we told the eldership that we were going to move on was a Tuesday night. That's the night we resigned. On the Thursday night, we told a few more people, the deacons in the church and and a few close friends. On the Friday, we got a call from some of those close friends who said, hey, can we come over tomorrow? We'd like to talk to you about your house. On the Saturday, they came round and they said on the spot, 
Um, they'd been around many times before. Uh, I had the privilege and the honor to, to, to pray and lead him to Christ a couple of years earlier. And we'd done their premarital counseling with them. Incredible couple. And on the spot, they said, we feel like we're supposed to buy your house. Can we buy it from you? And then they said, but not just everything, not just the house, we want to buy everything in the house. Can we give you some more money for that? And I'm sat there thinking, well, yeah, but like, when, when do we move? When do we sell the house? And they said, no, no, like, and also we have somewhere else to live until the day you go. So you can stay in this house until the day you leave. God asks you to step out. Have faith. He does the miracles. He does the miracles. The day that we left, I walked into my little girl's room, Hannah. It was the afternoon, early afternoon, and I picked her up from her nap, from her own cot. And we got her ready to leave. And we took our suitcases and we went to the airport and we left the house like we were going on holiday. God asks you to step out. He does the miracle. In this room, there are people with a heart for mission. You know, without a doubt, God is calling you to distant lands. He's calling you to distant places. He's calling you to go and share the gospel. And, and, and there's people that are scared, like, what if I step out and, and I don't have the money? What if I lose everything that I've built? What if I lose what, what I've managed to acquire so far? And he's put down, deep down inside of you, this heart to go and share the gospel. And, and, and there's people in this room who just know that God is calling you. He's calling you to, to, to start a prayer meeting at work. He's calling you to do all different types of things. And the truth is, is that what happens, church, is we get trapped in this illusion of, of security that we build around ourselves. I've got savings. I've got a pension. I've got, I've got security. It's an illusion. And God is calling you to do something incredible, to step out and watch him do the miracle, to be obedient to him, even when it doesn't make sense. We can't get comfortable in it, can't get cozy. So maybe God is telling you, hey, you're a missionary. I'm calling you to go and share the gospel. God's calling you to start a rehab center. And you've put it off and you've put it off and you've put it off. God's calling you to foster children, to bring kids with no family into a family. God's calling you to work with asylum seekers to help them. God's calling you to quit your career. Boom. You work so hard for it. Let me tell you, it's an illusion of security. Not everybody, you understand, but there are some people in the room that you know God's saying this to you. And I feel like this morning, God's saying, get out of the shallows and get into the deep and trust the voice of your master. Simon and his companions, they didn't remain in the shallows. Against all reason, they obeyed Jesus' command and they did something unusual, irrational, and from a human Something many fishermen would have refused to have done. 
They steered the boat towards the deep waters, the wrong part of the lake, the wrong part of the day. In response to their faith, Jesus pulls off a miracle. Let me say this. I'll switch mic. As his disciples, we want to be obedient to Jesus. So let me say this first. Give Jesus what he asks for. Uh, Simon, he gave him his boat. The boat, trust me, signifies a lot. Uh, The boat would have been Simon's pride and joy. Not everybody had a boat. Not many people had a boat. (laughs) Um, It was his income. It was his security. It was his career. And Jesus asks to use it. And what does he do? He sinks it. (laughs) He sinks it with blessings, but he sinks it with fish. And I feel this morning, spiritually, God is saying, hey, there are some boats in this room of security, the illusion of security, something you worked hard for, something that you depend on, and I want you to invite me in, ultimately, so he can sink it. But he's going to teach, he's going to bless, and he's going to sink it. Because you don't need it, you need him. He met the disciples in their everyday lives, their ordinary lives, and that's exactly where he wants to meet you today. But Simon was willing to relinquish his security and obey Jesus and experience the supernatural workings of God. And lastly, what I want to do before we take communion, as we take communion together, everybody get one of these? If you didn't get one, Mags is at the back. You can rush and get one in a minute. Um, But we're going to do communion together. But as a result of what happened to Simon that morning, as a result of what he encounters, he falls to his knees and he understands for the first time that he's not in the presence of some powerful prophet or just some supernaturally gifted healer, but he's in the presence of God. And this revelation hits him of who he stood in front of. He fell to Jesus' feet and begged for mercy. And this image that should conjure up uh, a really pivotal moment in the Bible. Um, Another man who found himself frozen with fear when confronted with the presence of God, Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. I'm going to read Isaiah uh, here, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered the faces, with two they covered the feet, and with two they were flying, and they, they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. How does he respond to being in the presence of God? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongues from the altar. This represents Jesus right here. This is Jesus' imagery. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. As we move into a time of communion now, I feel like for so many people, this is gonna be an important moment. And it's a moment that I want you to take so seriously because I feel like Jesus is calling some of you to a recommitment this morning, to follow him. For some of you, life has become stale, stagnant. Your relationship with Jesus isn't what it was. And I feel like this morning, he's challenging you again to follow him, to go out to the deep, put out your net, and watch him work. We understand that Jesus is the one who came, his body broken, his blood poured out in order that you can have relationship with God. Like, like, like it was said to Isaiah, your, your guilt is taken away, your sin torn for. Jesus came so that your sin is forgiven. There is no more shame. It's gone. It's hard, hard to forgive ourselves so often. Shame is gone. Not only that, that morning, not only did Jesus tell Simon, get back up, get back up. Don't be afraid. That's what Jesus says, don't be afraid. It gives him a new identity. No longer is Simon a fisherman. He's a fisher of men. A new identity. And that's exactly what Jesus offers to you this morning. Guilt, gone. Shame, gone. Forgiveness, taken care of. And now he's calling you and me into a new identity with him. He wants to commission us again afresh this morning. So as we take communion together, the band are just gonna play and we're gonna do this in a place of worship. Obviously, you need to keep your mask off so you can do this but I want to encourage you to recommit this morning.